Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we have today Paul Granger with us. Um... He's a minister um, of the gospel and just has an awesome story. I've had a, a person on my podcast that was on his podcast, and so that was kind of how we connected, uh, talking about sitting and suffering. And uh, and so, man, welcome. Thank you. This is episode, what did I say, 83? So thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we hope this is a good conversation that is just enriching to your heart and your mind and your soul. And so let's get to it. Paul, tell us who you are and kind of what you do. Yeah, so... It's funny, that question, what do you do, has been an interesting one for me for the last four and a half years. Four and a half years ago, I unexpectedly lost my job. I'd been serving in ministries and nonprofits for all my working life. Uh, And at that point, God invited me to a season of trusting him in ways that I hadn't been able to fully trust him before, like if you don't have a job, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a formal income. Uh, But in those spaces, I really came to learn what we kind of all know, but don't really process is we really identify ourselves with what we do. Mm -hmm. So when I would meet somebody new while I was unemployed, I would get the questions, who are you and what do you do? And I'm like, oh man, I don't wanna say, hi, I'm Paul and I'm I'm unemployed, (laughs) because we have such stigmas against it. And what I came to learn is that God was inviting me to understand a deeper reality of who I am and what I do as a result. And so my job is ambassador of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's that's my, my core job and that plays out in a number of practical, functional ways, which is what people really want to know. When they do, I know, okay, Paul, but who are you? What do you do? Um, but the reason I feel like it's important to name that is because in any given moment, all of that can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the midst of that four and a half years, a pandemic happened. A lot of people who identified themselves one way didn't identify themselves as in the same way after that. And so that's my main role. I'm, I'm an ambassador of Christ who's trying to find each day, how do I represent Christ well? If I'm going to say that I'm a Christian, a Christ follower, how is that reflected in what I do, mm-hmm. what I say, who I interact with, who I don't interact with, yeah. <laughs> what I don't do? Like, what? how is that reflected? Functionally, uh, I'm full-time ministry, fully support-based. So I haven't had a formal paycheck in those four and a half years, and God's provided throughout that. And it's allowed me to be able to love my neighbors in a more unique way, be present with them. So right before this, I came from volunteering uh, to facilitate a community Bible study with neighbors who oftentimes might not feel comfortable coming into a church, might not feel welcome in a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God's created the, a space where I mean, we'll have people walk in, coming from all kinds of situations, and somehow they feel safe being there. Um, I do content creation, uh, have a podcast, uh, called Where Did You See God, Write Things. But really, it, each year has been different in those four and a half years. And so, again, it comes back to I'm just trying each day to learn more and more what it means to love God and love others and to live in who God's made me to be. Awesome, man. 
Well, how, so tell me a little bit backstory. How did you kind of come to Christ? What, where, where were you from? Were your parents Christian? You know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So I've lived most of my life in Virginia. Uh, grew up uh, not, I, I currently live in the inner city part of Virginia, but most of my life was out in the country. <laughs> and so if I talk to my parents, a little bit of accent will come out. Yeah. Uh, my parents both went to church, uh, but I didn't really know my father well because when I was five, he passed away. Mm. So the few memories I have at this age, I start to wonder, are those actual memories or have I replayed it so many times that now I'm remembering the replay? And But from as long as I can remember, a church has been a part of my life. Now, of course, different ages, it means different things. When you're really little, little, it's just what you do. When you start to think for yourself, you're like, well, I don't want to go to church. I'd rather sleep in or watch cartoons. And so I can remember periods of time where uh, all I don't remember the sermon. I just remember I was coloring on the the, the little yeah, yeah. what is the word? Not brochure, not pamphlet. I got stuck on this the other day. The uh, paper you get when you go into church. Yeah, man. Now you're going to get me stuck on it. None of I. This is like Chip, the second what is that time called? <laughs> Chip, there's a me? name bulletin. bulletin bulletin see that's why i have chip here he keeps my life together chip chip you are a hero because i've he been is. wrestling with that so i color on the bulletin right the bulletin um, well ours is digital now so you can either take it or you can pull I, it up i'm like yeah, it's crazy uh, the world we live in so you, you could color on it still but you might ruin your phone that's right but so i have always had church in my life but it wasn't until middle and high school that i started to ask the questions of well what does it actually mean for me to be a Christian? What does it actually mean for me to say that I'm a Christian, to say that I believe in God? Shouldn't that somehow impact my life? Mm. Is just going to church the thing or is it more than that? Because I'm getting the impression it's more than that. And I can look back now and recognize God did something within me because the trajectory of my life, it wasn't that it was going in a bad direction and it suddenly changed. I don't have one of those type of testimonies, which was hard for a while side note it can be hard for people who feel like oh man i don't have one of those cool or intense testimonies i just kind of always knew god mm -hmm. but i think there's something beautiful in that um that i always knew god but there is this moment where i can look back and say i went from just kind of living life to suddenly wanting to live life for god mm -hmm. and so from that point i'm like i think I'm, i feel like god's telling me to do full-time ministry yeah and so i started engaging in that through like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Young Life, creating Bible studies at coffee shops, things like that. Uh, a lot of it organic, a lot of it not really just trying to, to create things, but just wanting to engage with God wherever and however I could. Uh, but when I went to college, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to figure out like the specific ministry job. And I guess that means either pastor or missionary. Mm. I don't feel like I'm supposed to go to some other country where nobody knows God. Like if I guess I'm supposed to be a pastor, but I don't even know that I necessarily want to run a church. Like this was my only concept yeah. of what it meant to serve God. It's one of those two it's things. Most of only everybody's concept, right? I mean, right. And neither of them quite landed. So I went into uh, Campbell University, uh, worked on a degree in religion and Christian ministries, thinking that that would answer the question, especially the Christian ministries part. And very quickly, I realized I don't feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor. But what does that mean? And this is another beautiful part about how God works is, you know, you get to your senior year. A lot of people know, at least think they know what they're going to be doing next. Well, I had I had no idea. <laughs> and my friend and I started praying and independently, we kept coming to the same kind of landing spots. The first was we don't feel like God's calling us to go overseas. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be in the States. The second was we feel like God's telling us to go into the city, which was unexpected because both of us grew up in the country. I had no desire or interest. We're both introverts too. So city life was not appealing, but it was, that was, that's how strong it was. And the third was uh, to work with youth. So like, I guess we're doing inner city youth ministries. Mm -hmm. I, I had very little experience with that. Two weeks out of my life doing VBSs in that context. Uh, so we're like, all right, I guess this is what God's inviting us to do, but we don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And through a series of connections, relationships, and opportunities, God invited me into a space where I've lived for the last uh, over 15 years, uh, 17 years, really, of serving in the inner city context, uh, learning what it means to love my neighbors, 
and seeing ways that that's done well and ways that it's not done well. Um, but that 17 years, right? Like we think you graduate and then you figure out what you're going to do with your life. Then you just kind of do that thing until you retire. But as we all know, life is filled with all kinds of stuff, <laughs> hard stuff, exciting stuff. And my spiritual life and my functional life was shaped by these several core events from uh, miscarriages to toxic work environment to losing my job to being invited into unemployment and a myriad of other things that, you know, it's what's beautiful is, again, I always more or less believed in God. My life had always had this God element, but who I know God to be now is very different than who I knew him to be 10 years ago, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I realized that's the beauty of this God that's beyond our comprehension is it's not like any other thing in life that I can just study up and really learn and say, I'm an expert in this yeah, master. Like, right? I'm going to be a learner <laughs> of who God is for the rest of my life. And I'm excited about that because of what I've come to learn about who he is. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said about two testimonies. Um, I had a friend, my, my testimony is uh, one filled with lots of trauma and lots of drama. Um, so, you know, I used to go to these speaking things with another one of my friends and he, he's very similar to you. He just kind of grew up in a good household. His family, you know, discipled him well. He, his parents stayed together. Like he just, you know, he had kind of the, like, I watched my dad model it. I got discipled. And, and so it's just what I did. And of course there's difficulties and that doesn't make it easy, but he would always say after we get done, like, man, you know, your testimony is so crazy and you know, it's so heavy. And I wish mine was like that. And I'm like, no, you don't, you know, like, you know, there's two testimonies. Um, one is the testimony that you, that you said that I hope is my children's right. That, that they say, you know, my, my father walked out Christ to me every day. He discipled me. He led me. He taught me. And then he acted like Jesus in a way that I saw that Jesus was real. And I wanted to chase after that because I wanted that and I trusted that. Um, yes, I had to, you know, repent. Yes, I had to uh, turn to the Lord. Yes, I had to deal with my own sin. But at the end of the day, that wasn't a hard, hard leap because of what was modeled for me. You know, and that's a beautiful testimony. I think that's the testimony God wants for all of us. And then you have my version, which is, you know, my parents did the best they could, but they did, a, you know, they had their own trauma and their own history and, and where they were, they didn't have the support. And so, you know, it was a lot of that, um, just figuring it out. And that came with a lot of consequences and a lot of suffering that again, created, you know, God took and created beauty from ashes and used for his good and for his glory and my good. Um, but man, I'd rather everybody go through the whole, we were in community, we followed God and things worked out a little better without all the headache, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, and it really, it really challenges our understanding of what a testimony even is. Cause our default understanding is you were bad, you met Jesus and now you're good. Yeah. Right. And, and that's captured in the fact that most of the times we see our, our testimonies as a done deal. It's this one-off story. Partly because sometimes there are these powerful singular date moments. I could tell you where I was, March 25th, yeah. 2000, right? Um, and that becomes hard for people that don't have that singular date. But I think what I've come to learn, and this came largely through, I, for about five years, I ran internship programs with young adults who would come and serve with the ministry. And part of what we did in that is invite them to share their story. At first we said, share your testimony. And then I came to realize these misperceptions, these barriers. And so I shifted the language to sharing the story of you and God, because that's actually what it is. Because yeah. my and testimony is constantly changing and growing. How so I tell good. it will shift, you know, after the miscarriages, it shifted in a significant way. After the job loss, it shifted in a significant way. In this season of having to trust God for provision and him showing up, it's shifted because it's like we're talking about meeting Jesus. Well, I'm still meeting the guy. Right. <laughs> like, Amen. I thought I knew him and now I know him more deeply. So I realized I didn't actually know him then. And five, 10 years from now, I'm going to know something about him. That's going to make this time feel small. Like he was an acquaintance compared to the depth of relationship that's ahead. That's so good, man. We were just talking about that this weekend that, you know, I get, we, we talk about, you know, being a counselor and working with people and, and, 
it's it's amazing to me. Number one, how many people that are that go to church that claim Christ don't even know their testimony. Like even if you use the word, mm-hmm. what's your testimony? They couldn't tell you. And then like you're saying, further, you know, the other percentage of people are like in college at this party, this happened and I gave my life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since then I've been saved, you know, I'm like, man, I'm with you. Like my testimony changed last night, you know, like this morning, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's a constant, how do I draw deeper? How do I let the Holy spirit, you know, fill me more? How do I walk in the spirit more? And then what do I see him manifest in my life and do through me? Um, and I'm constantly either quenching that or, or, you know, I imagine is like I had this vision the other a couple of months ago. Um, I was praying and it was like this uh, these pipes that went up into the air and there were all these valves and I was asking for more of the Spirit and more of who you know to experience Jesus more and and it was like he you know God showed me like yeah you have the Holy Spirit but you have all these valves in your life that constantly get kind of turned on and turned off depending on your sin depending on your belief depending on your faith depending you know depending on all these things. And, um, and I've been kind of thinking those same things about the testimony is like, yeah, it's, it's a constant testimony of who God is and, and he shows up in amazing ways. And, and, um, I was praying with a friend this morning and just telling him the same thing. He's got something tonight. And I'm like, man, go and do what you do, but don't put it on you because God's going to show up. And that's going to be another testimony of you being in despair this morning, thinking this, there's no way I can do it. There's no way I can say it right. There's no way I, uh, on my own strength. And I'm like, yeah, cause it's not on your own strength. So go and walk in faith and watch what he does, yeah. you know, and I'm hoping yeah. he calls me tonight or texts me and says, yeah, he showed up, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like what story would I tell of the story of my wife and I, right? Like, because the uh, yeah. way we treat testimonies is the story of how you met or the story of when you got engaged or the story of when you got married, which are important stories, of course, no doubt, like valuable stories. But yeah. if that's the only story I tell, then somebody would rightly at some point say, all right, but that last story was back in 2009 or back in 2007. So what's been going on? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? Because yeah. my relationship with my wife is not what it was in 2007 or 2008 or 2009 or even last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how I've come to know her more deeply, how our lives have become more one has constantly evolved and changed and will continue to deepen. And so just like I wouldn't tell the story of me and my wife with these just singular moments and leave out all the rest, when I talk about my testimony of how I came to know God, how I came to know Jesus, that's going to be an ongoing thing because that's he, he's not inviting us to be acquaintances where it's like, right. oh, yeah, one time I met Tommy Lee Jones, right? It's like, no, it's <laughs> a really good the story conversation. <laughs> Right. It's this, no, how am I continuing to be in community, in oneness with God? That's good. We were uh, talking about this the other day, too, and I was saying, yeah, that, I mean, it's such a, I mean, I can't remember what the verse is, but it talks about these things that are like, uh, like very uh, childlike beliefs or or, uh, simple beliefs or, you know, beginning beliefs. I can't, it's in Hebrews. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically saying, Elementary, that's what it is. There's these elementary yeah. principles and beliefs of Christianity, you know, and I'm like, that's one of them. The idea that, you know, Jesus died for our sins to justify us, to make us right with God. But then he, he also died so he could raise again and he rose again so he could leave and leave behind the Holy Spirit. And all of that was so God can be with us, like so that he can just be in our, we can be in his presence. We can fully know him. We can fully experience him at all times. And I think we miss that a lot or forget that very basic principle that that's, that's it really. And, mm-hmm. and yet we think, well, what do I have to do and how do I have to perform and what, what's the next thing and the next step and the next mm-hmm. discipline I can do. And again, not the disciplines are bad, but they don't move you any, any closer in God's favor. You know, mm-hmm. they, they open the valve maybe, but they, you know, he's right there and he's not going anywhere. It's our awareness of him and the depth of him and the, the knowledge of how vast and how extensive what we don't know about him is. Yeah. So so that's good stuff, man. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, you talked about those three things. And so within that testimony, um, what, what would be the things that you think 
kind of have changed you the most in the last few years and what did you learn out of them? I know you mentioned the miscarriages. We've had a few ourselves and those are really heavy things. So yeah. if you wouldn't mind sharing about that, um, what, yeah. what, what are some things maybe, cause people don't talk about it and mm-hmm. you know, it's like one in four women have one and, and then you have one and everybody's like, Oh, us too. And then you're like, why have you never told us? You know, I don't yeah. know if you had that experience, yeah. but yeah, no, absolutely. And, and what's hard too is it's such a potentially joyful moment that you're on the precipice of, like, especially if it's your first child, you know, and that was the case for me. Again, my father died when I was five. I spent my life not knowing my biological father and thus desiring to be that for a child one day. Mm. And so in 2011, when that opportunity presented itself, my wife found out she was pregnant. Like I was so excited. Yeah. We were so excited. And so when we were at that first appointment at like nine weeks or so, and the, the nurse tech very just straightforward said, there's no heartbeat, like it was shock at first. Oh right? man, it's so it's quiet like, in that room. Right. And it, it, this isn't supposed to happen. And so how can this be happening? A really interesting thing happened. You know, I, I kind of hinted at there are moments in life where it's very clear that God moved and did something, even though at the time I might not have recognized it as that. And this was one of those because I could have reacted in a number of ways. People react in a number of ways when they learn that their child has miscarried. And shock was the first, but almost as quickly, I immediately thought of passages in scripture where the dead were raised. Mm -hmm. Passages that talk about pray anything in my name and it'll be done. Like really bold passages that I realized up until that point I knew, but had never really had to test my faith on. Mm -hmm. Never really had to say, do I actually believe that prayer could do this? Yeah, sure, Lazarus was raised for the dead, but there is someone dead within my presence. Do I believe enough in God to pray for life? Mm-hmm. And that was frightening because <laughs> I, I had this bold, like, yeah. from God faith to step into that. But then when I started to think about it, all kinds of questions. Like, one, well, is this really true? And yeah. I, oh, I mean, yeah, of course it's true. But am I Christian enough to do this? Do I have enough yeah. faith to do this? And and what if I what if I do this? Because what I realized is this was not some small casual thing where you like pray about it and it doesn't happen. You're like, well, maybe next time. Like, right. no, this is like now. And if I say that I'm praying this, I'm going big. I'm going all my chips are pushed out on the table. Mm-hmm. And I can't just casually come back from that. Yeah. And so if if this scripture is true and and actually can raise the dead, then if it happens, like my life can't be the same anymore. Like right. I can't pray the same anymore. But if it doesn't happen, what does that mean? Ooh, that's, I think <laughs> that's that mean the harder God? part, right? And this is the tension that I'm aware of for those two weeks before we get to the next appointment. Cause at that age, like there's no kicks or anything like that. There's no way for us to know if our prayers are working, right? right. There's no way for us to know if anything is happening. And man, I, I tell you like, I had had moments of seeking God before, like authentically, genuinely, all of those seem small compared to what those two weeks were mm-hmm. until we got to that appointment and nothing had changed. Yeah. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Ha-ha-ha. There are moments in scripture where the change isn't immediate, that they pray more and then it happens. And maybe this is an opportunity to really see if I believe because like, sure, like I was willing to step into this, but am I willing to still seek God, even though he didn't give me what I wanted the first time, mm-hmm. you know, the persistent widow, maybe I just need to pray, pray, pray. And so then they set the appointment where they have to do the DNC and that's, that's the next marker. All right. We're praying. We've got community around us praying. I'm like, man, going through scripture in ways I've never gone through it before. I'm wrestling with verses that before I just took casually and all this time, I don't know what's going to happen. And all this time, like, I want to believe that God is real, but I'm also wrestling with, am I worthy of it? Am Mm -hmm. I praying hard enough? What if I, what if I'm doing it all right? And then the day before I sin, it all, is that how it works? Like, (laughs) I I don't, I'm asking all these questions. And so we get to the DNC appointment and I'm in the waiting room and they're going to call me at the end of it. And, and I'm still praying and I'm still praying and I'm like, hoping that the call I get is, Mr. Granger, we we went in for the procedure. You won't believe it. 
your child is alive. We've never seen anything like this. And then, of course, all the doctors, the nurses, anyone that's not already saved, get saved. And now they have testimonies. And, you know, and then suddenly we're having to we prayed and someone came back from the dead. And so we have to go around in our community where there are a lot of injuries. There are a lot of alcoholism and drug addiction and, and trauma and wounds. And now we have to go out. And we're praying for everyone and everyone's getting healed. And that's not the call I got. I got the call that most people get is everything went well your wife's recuperating she'll be out soon and so now i'm at that point right where it's like if this doesn't happen what does that mean mm. and i realized i have one of two options really one is i kind of look at the situation and call it for what it is scripture said if i prayed in this way if i sought i'd find ask i'd have received and i didn't so god's either cruel or not real Mm -hmm. but he's definitely not what I was always told he was right. because I sought him as hard as I'd ever sought him before. That is the option that made the most logical sense. That's that matched how I was feeling with my sorrow. Uh, but then there's a second option that made no sense, by the way, <laughs> is that even though things didn't pan out the way that I thought scripture said they would, that I could still choose to believe that God is God, that he is powerful and that God is good, that he is loving. That there is no logic or evidence or anything to support that at that point. And I was not feeling that. Right. And this was another moment where I believe it was the spirit, like being present in that moment. I chose the latter. <laughs> I chose to choose to believe that God is God and God is good. And what we want to believe is that after that moment, you know, the clouds break and suddenly I feel joy. Nah, I don't. I I felt what I believe was most likely depression <laughs> for several months. Mm -hmm. We had another miscarriage a few months later. Yep. But something had changed in my understanding of God and my walk with God, and it was really it's that second piece because a lot of people knew Jesus when he was going around, right? And a lot of people cared about Jesus. A lot of people learned from Jesus. There's only a select few that really knew what it meant to authentically walk with him. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that walk with him that then by the time you get to John 6, 66, where Jesus starts talking a little crazy, it says, <laughs> then they turned away yep. and never walk with him anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. They were probably really like we would have looked at them and probably thought they were amazing disciples. They might have even healed people for all we know. But there are these junctures in our lives where we have to decide, well, am I really all in for God or not? And when, by the grace of God, by the movement of the Spirit, we decide to keep stepping forward, it, something changes. And sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's profound. But my understanding of God and my walk with God from that point on was never the same. And every time I pray now, um, and partly as a way to remind myself and to keep me grounded, um, and then just partly now, it's just my rhythm. Every prayer starts with, um, you know, God, you are God and you are good. Like I name those two truths because I know that things will happen in life that will seem counter to that. Yeah. And I have to choose to believe that. Not I have to feel it or I have to see it. I have to choose to believe it if I'm really wanting to be all in for God. But every time that I have... <laughs> Again, often by the grace of God, every time that I have chosen to believe that, God's been faithful, sometimes in different ways that I wanted, sometimes in different timing than I wanted. But from this vantage point, I can look back and say definitively, God has never failed. God has never failed, even when I have. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's an amazing, beautiful, beautiful testimony. I mean, part of your testimony, right? Part of your story. Your <laughs> yeah. Got to re yeah. recamp it. Uh, you know, it's... it's um, you're hundred percent right. It's, it's the dark night of the soul, right? It's this, it's this moment of, um, you know, the brain break. So, so to speak, like all of the things that you've built up that you think, you know, you know, come crashing down around you and you have to make a choice. And that choice is, uh, it's so beautiful that it's like, if you're in Christ, then it's empowered by the Holy spirit and he does it. So you don't even really get credit for the choice, but that is mm -hmm. part of our human existence is the, is the faith part, right? that the yeah. spirit is there to give you power and strength and intercede for you. Um, but it's not going to come down and force your hand to write the check to the homeless ministry. 
right? It's not going to force your hand to get on your knees and pray. It's not going to come in and all of a sudden you're going to start speaking in tongues in the middle of wherever because it made you. There is a, there is a action, a, a faith step that you have to take on your own that you don't even get moral credit for. Uh, we were talking about this the other day, but like, it's like you're at the bottom of the stairs and you're a baby and you can't walk. And so you're reaching up to your father and going, can you please help me get to the top of the stairs? It's like you recognize you can't do it and you're, you're helpless to do anything about it. And all you can do is ask the father to come get you. You know, that's not a, like a, that's not a moral benefit of you. You didn't like make a good choice and go, I'm going to go be a good boy. You're just like, I'm desperate and I know I can't get there at all on my own. And so it, you know, in those moments, you're right. Like you take that step, not knowing what it's going to be like and, and, you learn more about God and he shows up and he's good. And then just like the Israelites, you have these markers in your life to go back to, to go. Cause the next time, this is the crazy thing, right? And, and I'm, I'm sure you'll tell me this, but it's like, you have that moment. It's a revelation, but then the next moment, like you're still in that same tension, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. When I will say what's interesting is it's about deepening in our spiritual maturity. Um, you know, mayor, love abound more and more knowledge and depth of insight. We're like, we're going to come to know these things deeper and deeper because even to your analogy, this kid that wants to get up the stairs and recognizes that it needs to spot, like that's a really healthy moment when you recognize it's okay to ask for help. Um, but what's wild is the way that we work as people is that we think it's about getting to the top of the steps. And that's what the child would then celebrate is, okay, I got to the top of the steps. Thanks, dad. You know what the dad's thinking? I got to hold my child. Exactly, <laughs> Like man. the dad's not caring about whether the child is downstairs or upstairs because he knows the child's going to go right back downstairs in a little bit, change his mind, right? <laughs> he knows how fickle kids are. No, that's what the father wants. And it goes back to what you said before is God is desiring connection and relationship with us. And what's so good about that is that if it was flipped and it was us in that position, we would end up getting really tired with people fast you know we, after we that do, first right? hard moment we do we <laughs> constantly do we get tired of ourselves oh. and so if we were god and we walked somebody through a hard situation and they got the revelation and then almost immediately forgot the revelation <laughs> like we would be like are you kidding me i've i've given you so many chances you clearly don't care like right. that's not how God operates. That wasn't how Jesus operated. I mean, so good. his disciples constantly misstepped. Peter constantly misstepped. Talk about having multiple like uh, forms of a testimony. He's not just telling the story of, oh yeah, I was a fisherman and then I met Jesus and then I became a fisher of men. Like that's a good story that he probably would bring out every so often. But he also knows the moments where he learned something from an experience with Jesus that then he quickly forgot. And yet Jesus, each moment of the way, was still there and still loving and still extending a hand and still like sometimes lovingly rebuking yeah. and then sometimes like encouraging when he didn't deserve it at all. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's been my story. These revelations that God's given me through hardship, as much as I think I've grasped them, then the next hard season comes. Right. So the the next really big one for me was a really hard work environment. And it's a much longer story that won't get into now because yeah. we'd have to do a multi-part multi, multi part series. But I had prayed about uh, coming alongside this ministry. I felt like God was giving me some invitations. Not that he was telling me to go, but I felt like he would be with me in that decision. I, I felt like I was living into so many of the ways that God had designed me. I felt like the work that I was doing was really valuable. And I felt like I was actually doing it really well. And... I felt like God had positioned me to love my coworkers and those in authority over me well. So you can imagine my surprise and pain when suddenly I was being perceived as the opposite. Mm. And I got a new boss who very quickly had made the decision that I was not a hard worker, that I was not loyal, that I was not a good fit, that I was not listening to him, that I was I this long litany of accusations. and. I, it was awful. And I wanted to leave. I, nobody would want to stay in that kind of a space. I even started job searching, but I was also by the grace of God aware that maybe I should also pray. And in my praying, I wasn't even asking God, should I stay or should I go? I was saying, God, I don't want to be here. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell can me what job? Yeah. <laughs> and, and God invited me to stay. 
He didn't tell me to stay. He didn't force me to stay. He extended an invitation. Paul, I know this is hard and I want to invite you to stay. And by the way, it's going to get harder. Like that was, that was the invitation I sensed on multiple occasions at, as I would have these painful, painful meetings every few months or so, or I had these just unjust interactions where I would be blamed for things I didn't do or not acknowledged for things that I did. Like each time God wasn't forcing himself. He was very gently saying, I know it's hard. I want to give you an invitation and it's going to get harder. And this was one of the big revelations I came from in that moment is I was able to recognize because of the miscarriages that God was God and God is good. And and as a result of that, and knowing that I could choose to believe that even if I wasn't seeing or feeling it, I feel like I was able to stay at the table in spaces that in my humanity, I would have broke mm-hmm. way sooner. Or in my humanity, I would have lashed out. Or in my humanity, I would have frozen or any number of reactions. Um, I was able to navigate that in a way that when I look back, I was like, "That's that was God, not not me. But it was still incredibly difficult. And as much as I wanted to love God in the midst of it, I'm like, but God, why are you, why are you letting me be treated like this? Like, mm-hmm. I I feel like I've sought you. Know, I, I thought that things were maybe could have gotten better. They could have gotten better if you just shifted this or if you just shift his mindset to see things for what they really are. Not even change his mind. Let him see things accurately. Like everything would be better, God. We'd all be happier. Right. Why aren't you doing this? Like I, I, I realized eventually that what I was doing is believing that God could work insofar as it happened in certain ways because my human logic was pretty sound. Like you can't be happy in a work environment if your boss is misperceiving you. And you can't be happy in a work environment if your responsibilities are beyond anyone's capacity. So in order to be happy, like boss has to see you accurately. The job has to be actually doable. And so that's what I was praying for. That's what I was expecting. And God changed his mind. God, work out these things. Give, give me somebody to work alongside me so I'm not carrying the job of five people and just me. Like, give me at least one more. Per- like, right. And then God, and what God was trying to communicate was, yeah, but what if I could still be God and I didn't do any of that? What if I could still be God and I actually made things worse? And there is this pivotal point that, I mean, it was, there is an, a horrendous interaction that, I mean, I still, things could still trigger me <laughs> to this day from that interaction that led me to, I'm a, I don't know if you or your listeners do stuff with Enneagram, uh-huh. yeah, we do. Um, but I'm an Enneagram nine peacemaker yeah so like this is the worst for you ever (laughs) right and so like and man there's so much that god did beautiful through that like allowed me to actually perceive things about my boss that somebody else would have written him off and made him the villain Mm -hmm. god allowed me to see things i'm like i can't villainize him like the battle wasn't against flesh and blood as much as i want to be mad at him right now like god's helped me to see something but man in those moments where he he i believe he's a one Mm -hmm. and so he'll like push right into conflict and Oh, so so for me to get to the point where I actually called a meeting with the an individual who is both on the board of the ministry and a pastor of ours, like things had to be really bad for me to like say, nope, we've got to have an intervention meeting here. Right. And between in that season, I hit probably the most hopeless I'd ever been in my life. Because what I realized is I had actually done everything I possibly could to prove myself and it failed to overwork myself to demonstrate how hard a worker I to like produce systems to document things to seek God to seek others to try to you know I I did literally everything I could and there is one interaction that made it clear that there is absolutely nothing I could do Mm -hmm. I could operate perfectly and it's not going to change his mind and that was a deflating moment of hopelessness because I'm like God, there's, I believe there's actually nothing I could do to change this situation. Yeah, man. I, w- then, I want to speak to that one part just for our yeah. listeners. I think what you're saying, so many of us have felt with parents, with moms, with dads, mm-hmm. with, with husbands, with spouses, you know, with, with wives, with, with uh, mm-hmm. coworkers, with whoever. You know, I think many of us who have dealt with people who are toxic or unhealthy or, you know, dealing with their own issues, because most of the time that's what's happening, um, that is what happens, right? We, we actually have done in our human capacity all there is to do to shower them with love and affection, to do the job, to pick up the clothes, to have sex, to get, give them whatever it is they need to right. feel loved and valued. 
and they still can't see it. So I'm, I'm going to yeah. let you finish that part. And that's, and I'm glad you mentioned because it's, I mean, it's true. It's it's such a deflating moment that so many people find themselves in without fully realizing it because in that space, you're still blaming yourself or yep. you're still like villainizing the other person or you're still falling into this hopelessness. But the big difference, the big difference for me in that moment was that I was in relationship with this God of the universe who knew more than I did, who when I said, God, I've done absolutely I can, everything I can and nothing's working and I don't, I just, I, I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. I, I can't figure this out. And it's like God was saying, well, it's about time you stop trying to do it in your way or figure it out. Because what he wanted to invite me to was to stay in that space, even if it got worse. And I remember it all came to this one important moment where my boss was actually accusing me of things that he had actually done. I had this body of evidence beside me that I was reaching down for. And as I'm doing it, it my spiritual father, my pastor, he, he stops me. He's like, whoa, 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 Paul. I don't even know if he, he knew. I don't know if he knew I was reaching for something, but I feel like God was prompting him to say this. And it was essentially this, that, Paul, you don't work for this guy. You don't work for this organization. You work for God. So what is your boss God inviting you to do? Mm. And I felt like God was inviting me to stay. So I, I say that. And then I'm like, but, you know, if I stay here and if this and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. You just do what God is inviting you to do. And, and let me tell you, that little nugget of truth, when I actually decided to believe it, was transformational. Because up until that point, I did work for that guy. And I did work for that organization. So if I didn't meet his standards or his expectations or his whatever, <laughs> well, then I'm in a rough place, even if I'm functioning perfectly, right? But if I work for God, it doesn't matter what this other person thinks. <laughs> Like, cause God's going to still invite me to love him, but this guy could treat me horribly. This guy could fire me, which he eventually did. And I wouldn't lose my job because I work for God. Mm. I wouldn't have to operate in fear because I work for God. Yeah, and it was such a freeing thing. You know, the first meeting after that, we were supposed to be clean slate. And he came in with a four page document about this small thing that he perceived I had done wrong, which he later, not verbally, but it was clear that he conceded that he was wrong in it. I wish he had apologized, but he didn't. But, <laughs> but what was beautiful is I was aware in that moment how I could and could justifiably should react to this guy immediately falling back on this clean slate thing. But God gave me a piece. He reminded me, you don't work for him. So just be who you, I've created you to be. Don't defend yourself. I was prone to defend myself. Mm -hmm. Don't defend, don't justify just answer his questions and be authentic because you know you did nothing wrong. And it was so freeing. Again, to the point where when I lost my job, I was able to receive what should have been a devastating moment with peace. I even smiled in that meeting, not because it was right or fair, but because God was showing himself in some really amazing ways leading up to that. And in that meeting, I even prayed for the two guys. And then I entered a season that's lasted four and a half years where I haven't gotten a paycheck mm. because I work for God. And he's paying my bills. I don't always know how he does it. But in the last four and a half years, we have never gone without anything that we've needed. Yeah. And sometimes God's blessed us in beautiful ways. And so, again, these pivotal moments happen that I come to discover God in a deeper way. But I also have to be aware I'm still alive. Like the Apostle Paul, I'm going to have moments where I don't understand what I do because the things I hate to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't like. I'm going to have moments like that. I'm going to have moments that don't make sense. I'm going to have moments where the wisdom of God is foolishness to me. <laughs> and yet he's inviting me to step forward. I'm not going to know what's ahead, but I still have the opportunity to step and pull back on these gifts, these nuggets that God has given me along the way, not so that I can get up the steps, but so that I can learn how in those moments, God is inviting me to welcome his embrace, to welcome his hold, whether we get up the steps or not. Mm -hmm. It's good, man. I'm going to circle back to the, the part where you talked about, um, you know, being perfect and kind of doing everything right. One, I mean, <clears throat> especially in, in the ministry, it makes it even harder because it, when you're in, out in the world, you know, we should, it's easier to go, you know, I expect people to not be gracious and kind and loving. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They can't, they don't have the fruit of the spirit. They don't have the power within them to do these crazy, irrational, graceful things that make no sense. Um, yeah. 
But then when you're in ministry, it makes it even harder because there is this kind of like expectation. And so even more so do you need God to go, hey, this is not going to make sense, but I need you to hang in there and trust me. Um, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way as well on multiple occasions, unfortunately, where um, you feel like you're doing everything you can be doing. You're trying to be honest. You're trying to be vulnerable. You're trying to be upfront, And people just won't see you that way whether it's their own past or their own trauma, their own issues. And it doesn't mean you're being actually perfect. I mean, of course we're all sinners yeah. and we all mess up, but the response or the, like you said, or the, the response or the reaction is more of whether that's from a parent or a coworker or whoever in my life coach, it's like, no, you're not only not doing this right, but your intentions are horrible. What you're doing mm-hmm. is horrible. You know, all these things. And I've heard the story from a hundred different clients. Yeah. And, I don't remember if it was my therapist or like my kind of spiritual mentor or whatever, but they were like, how did that work out for Jesus? And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, like Jesus actually was perfect, did nothing wrong, deserved none of what he got and they crucified him. Yeah. So if we think we're going to yeah. go through life as Christians doing the right things, having the right intentions and even perceivably doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing and that everybody's going to like respond to that well, then we're not reading the same book. We're not hearing the same mm-hmm. story. The, nar- the narrative is not there. And so we can learn on both ways, right? We can learn where God shows up and he's amazing. He always shows up, but he shows up in ways that for us are like, yes, you've justified me, validating me, protecting me. And then he can show up in ways where it's like, well, I got royally my butt kicked, right? And <laughs> I got screwed over and fired and lost my job. I've been there. I've gotten fired uh, for, you know, things that aren't, aren't, um, you know, remotely rational. Um, and God showed up and was like, like you said, like, this is not your identity to circle back to what we started with. Your identity is not in being a therapist and being a counselor and being a minister and being, you know, whatever your identity is in me and who I say you are. Uh, and you're my son. You're not my champion. You're not my, you know, you're not the thing propping up the Bible. You're not having to prove to me. You're not having to, you know, you're not doing any of those things. You're my child who I want to spend time with. And if you let me spend time with you, then I will be with you. I will soothe you. I will take care of you. And then I'll work through you in ways that other people get the opportunity to see these same things and learn these same things about me because it's not about you. And that that's just such a beautiful gift that unfortunately my stubborn, hard headed self has to keep learning year after year. And I'm you know thankful for it, but man, you'd think I'd get it. Yeah. You know, it's funny is if we say that we're Christians, and we're claiming that we follow Jesus. It's interesting how often, like, we're not really following Jesus because, to your point, like, Jesus went through so much of the stuff that we avoid, like, at all costs, because we think the purpose of life is to be comfortable and secure and happy. And, and so, when those things are threatened, we avoid those situations or we fight to get out of those situations. And meanwhile, Jesus. You know, I love how Henry Nouwen puts it. He, when he was reflecting on what Christian leadership needed to look like as we move into, you know, the coming years, and he talked about what Jesus demonstrates is leadership for him was powerlessness and downward mobility, which is not the case for our culture. <laughs> like powerlessness is bad, and downward mobility is bad. Like you got to be powerful, and you got to escalate yourself higher and higher and higher. But if we really want to follow Jesus, then we have to embrace the reality that God could invite us to powerlessness, mm-hmm. to being made less. And I had this beautiful moment that when you were talking, it reminded me of, of I was at a point where I had, I, I think I had already lost the job, but I was still healing. I was still, I'm still healing. But um, I, for some reason, was feeling the weight of the injustice against me. The suffering that I went through that shouldn't have happened. And I wasn't blaming God. I wasn't asking God to fix it. It was a beautiful moment of just wanting to sit with God in it and say, God, this hurts. This hurts. And so I went up to the front of the church to the altar and prayed and just started saying that, God, what happened to me was not fair. And it was so painful. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just holding that and I'm, and I'm offering it to you. And a singular verse came to my mind. And I don't remember which one it was, but it was one of the ones that talked about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I realized what you described, the reality that as much as I went through that was unjust and that felt like suffering, Jesus went through a lot more and didn't deserve any of it. That Jesus was actively loving the people persecuting him as they persecuted him. He is loving them. And 
that verse sharing in the sufferings of Christ for the first time, it hit me in this beautiful way of, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm connected to Jesus. Like, I feel like I understand Jesus in a way that I didn't before. I knew he had suffered, but because of how I've suffered Mm. unjustly, now I understand him in a new way. I feel connected to him. And what I then realized is this is amazing. I don't know that I want to leave this. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want to pray for the suffering to go. And this is the question that we fail to ask ourselves is if we are Christians, what's the most important thing? Like, what, what is it? If one thing could happen, what would be the most important thing? And it would be that we would be in relationship with God. But functionally in our life, what ends up being more important is how I'm perceived. How's my bank account looking? How am I getting towards my dreams and my goals? Like, how am I, how am I, how am I? When the reality is, is all of that could fall apart. We could be in the worst situation we've ever experienced in our life. But if we are connecting with God, it's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And scripture reflects that. How many people do we celebrate went through horrendous situations and we're with God in the midst and we celebrate that. But in our own lives, (laughs) that's not good enough for us. Like just being close to God and and fortunately, God is loving and patient with us. And he walks with us through that. Um, we have the revelation of, oh, okay, like I, I see what God was trying to teach me. And then we hit another situation. God is patient with us. But we're, we're deepening in this understanding. Our love is abounding more and more knowledge and depth of insight to the point where we actually begin to understand what love really is, what it means to love God and love others. Because loving God before was I read my Bible and I pray, but it becomes something more like, I'm giving of my time and myself. And then it becomes something of like, God, I'm willing to give up my dreams. God, I'm willing to be made to look like a fool if you're going to be glorified. Like I'm willing to be taken down to the lowest point because I have a sense that you are trying to do something abundantly more than I could ask or imagine. Mm -hmm. And I'm deferring my wisdom and understanding. Like that's, we begin to get closer and closer to that understanding of love, Uh, a love that is deeper than circumstances, a love that is, deeper than what it's going to gain us a love that is simply there because God is love and he is deserving of love. And he first loved us, but I can't get there on my own. I wasn't there five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago (laughs) and five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, I'm going to understand love in a deeper way and be so grateful for God's love in a deeper way. That's so beautiful, man. I love that. Um, I just, something just hit me that I I was right now where you're saying that it, you were talking about getting closer to Jesus and feeling like, yeah, you know Jesus more. I'm 100% with you. As as the, I know Jesus more because of the suffering in my life than I do these mountaintop experiences. All those those have been amazing too. I've had these moments where the Holy Spirit is, I've been so full and so aware of who He is. And a lot of times they've they've been paralleled with some crisis or some you know difficult thing. But um, it reminded me of Jesus talking to you know a scripture just saying he you know they didn't take His life; He laid it down. And I think from a psychological perspective and a, and a trauma perspective, you know, this stuff you're talking about is easier said than done. And it takes time and experience and, and relationship, just like anything over the course of five years, 20 years, 30 years, 70 years. Um, but one of the things that's helpful for people or people listen to this um, is when you when you have that moment where the suffering is there, it's not fair. People are abusing, people are being neglectful, people are being whatever. And, and by all means, set boundaries, be healthy, right? That doesn't mean to go in there and just be like, well, I'm just going to take a beating from my husband because that's what Jesus wants me to do. Right. I know that's not what you're saying, but the question is, how do I, in my relationship with Christ, listen to him in a way that I trust him and that I'm laying down my life as well, that it's not happening to me, that I'm choosing to walk in this knowing that this is part of life, that it's broken and messy and ugly. And it's, and it's not about um, me getting everything that I want and always being comfortable, that it is about um, drawing closer to, to the Holy spirit and experiencing that more, him more and him living out of us and flowing out of us. And, and those things do bring us closer to Jesus because it's when we feel like things are happening to us, they're always happening. They're hopeless. They're helpless. Like, and we have no choice that that mental illness and brokenness and suicide just come crashing in because everything feels like it's out of our control. And the reality is, right, is God is fully in control and, and we're not in control of the environment and the world and the weather and everything else. But 
within our relationship with God, we, we have that one thing again that we can do, which is our faith, which is stepping out and going, okay, God, I, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like loving my enemy. I don't feel like going and staying in this job. None of this makes any sense, but I trust you. And so I'm going to not have my life taken. I'm going to lay it down in whatever situation that looks like. Um, yeah. And for, for whatever reason, um, that that helps us to get through it. You know, it, it helps us yeah. to to be able to feel like, man, this thing is not happening to me. I'm, I have some control over it and I'm I'm choosing it. Yeah. And I think you said something that's important that we need to be aware of how we perceive the prescriptive pieces of these kind of conversations, because to your point, somebody could take that and say, well, I guess what Paul is saying is you stay in bad situations, right? <laughs> Just not what I'm saying. The prescriptive piece isn't stay in a toxic work environment. You know, you look at scripture and there were times where someone was wrongly imprisoned in the new Testament and times where, they the bars were taken up and they left like i think peter was one of those yep. and times where they stayed like paul right because god was trying to accomplish something unique in those spaces and with those individuals and so the prescriptive piece is to seek god and then to the best of your ability to step in the direction where you think he is and i say to the best of your ability because Oftentimes, you may not know for sure. Yeah, we're going to get might it wrong. Be 51%. Yeah. <laughs> 51%. But it's, but the thing is, is God isn't, it's not about getting up the steps or not again. It's that God's heart is filled with joy when we choose to step towards Him, even if we're like way off track. Because <laughs> yeah. He's never going to let us like be way, way, way off track. But sometimes we're just kind of stumbling or we're missed. But like if we're stepping towards Him, that is what He is recognizing. And so, that's what I have learned needs to happen in these moments where I'm like, do I stay or do I go? It's, can I ask, can I be humble enough to say, God, I know what I want and what I desire. I know what I think you should do. <laughs> right. But I want to be humble enough to, to get quiet long enough to listen and then to be willing to step in whatever direction I sense you inviting me. And you know what's beautiful is, part of the maturity that comes from that is we begin to realize that like you noted life is bigger than us <laughs> life is about more than us because prior to that pivotal moment in my work environment it was really about my job being doable and my reputation being cared for and me being comfortable like not in, even in a negative way in a very fair way but right. it's about my experience but let me tell you one of the beautiful gifts that god gave me was helping me to recognize that one of the reasons he invited me to stay is that I took a lot of arrows for other people that would have gotten wounded if I wasn't in the position that I was in with the Enneagram nineness, the peacemaker within me with the capacity, with like the shepherding gift of pastoral care. Like God had positioned me specifically in that time in that place to take a lot of arrows for a lot of young adults who like I am pretty confident, not because of me, but had they not had that in place, would have gotten really hurt. A lot of people did get hurt. But when I realized that, that God was giving me this insight to see that, yep, I asked you to stay because you took some hits intended for other people. So thank you. Like, yeah, man. I, did that benefit me? No, like I got hit. I got hurt. I still have the scars and the wounds. But man, the, the joy that it brought me to know that God utilized that in a beautiful way for the sake of others. And that's where the love others piece comes in. It's not just about doing nice stuff. Am I willing like Jesus to lay down my life? If so invited for the sake of others, even if they're not my friend, even if they're my enemy, even if they're actively hurting me. And so, yeah, it's about something bigger than us. Uh, but again, it's this journey of learning these things and then practicing these things and then misstepping and then knowing that God is right there carrying us to continue on. Yeah. I, I, th I was thinking of a moment I had recently where, I mean, just like you, just like probably many people who are trying to do the right thing, you don't realize that God's using you to protect other people. And it's like, you know, if Jesus knocked on my door right now and opened the door while we're doing this podcast and be like, hey, Clint, this afternoon you're going to go somewhere and someone's going to cuss you out, um, but I'm going to have them cuss you out because I trust that you can handle it and you're not going to mm -hmm. freak out and you're going to show them me. Whereas if they cuss the two people out behind you, it's going to ruin their day. They're going to go home and slap their kid and their wife, like X, Y, Z, right? He came in and told me that I would literally be, I'd be like, absolutely Jesus. Right. 
And then it would happen and I like got this, like, bam, look at me being faithful and doing the right thing. Aren't you proud, God? You know, like that's kind of the scenario most of us have. But that is what he's asking us, except for he's not walking in the door. He's he's in us. He is living in us. And he's going, I'm not going to give you something that clear because that's not faith. Faith is knowing that's my call for you, being mindful of it, stepping out in it, and then watching me show up and blow your mind over and over and over again. And um, I was just thinking of a situation recently that happened to me where, you know, it was a very big event and something happened right before I was doing my part. And, uh, and afterwards I was just thinking, you know, that first, the first voice is why me? And then the second voice was because you can handle it. And, yeah. and then my, my human voice is like, but can I stop? Ha- can you put it on somebody else sometimes? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> gotta I, get a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the same thing with our miscarriage. Yeah. I mean, I, my wife, um, you know, we had had two kids. So unlike yours, it was after we had had two kids. And so, um, I knew how it was supposed to work. I'd already experienced it. I had already heard the heartbeats. Yeah. I'd sat in the room. I had birth, you know, seen the birth and done all those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we woke up to, we're going to do our eight week normal check-in or whatever. And I woke up with just such dread in my chest and I got on my knees and I remember thinking like, this is not going to be good. Like this God either told me or got me ready or whatever. I didn't say anything to my wife. I just was like, this is not going to be good. Um, and I remember praying and just being like, don't let this be, don't let this one be the testimony. Like, don't let this be another reason that I, like I've seen tons of people who've had miscarriages as a clinician and never had one. And I'm like, don't let this be another area of empathy instead of sympathy. Right. Like, and, and it was, and is, and of course God has used that in my sessions and in my work even more in this podcast today. And you know, all the things, and it, that isn't that the thing of life. It's like, it's both, you know, it's just like, golly, like, you know, yeah. I'm glad you've given me these things and you trust me with these things. And wow, what does that say about who you are and how loving you are in our relationship? And at the same time, my yeah. flesh is like, can, can I get a pass on this one? Yeah. But yeah. I'm learning to yeah. not really mean that. Right. I'm learning to go. Yeah. If, if you need me to lay my life down in this situation, let me do that with a sincere heart, yeah. really trusting. And I hope that with you, with me, it's never fully there, right? It's always a work, which is the beautiful thing about a relationship. But I do believe for listeners, like the more and more you do it and the more and more you get the right proper lens and perspective through the suffering, it does get easier. It does get fuller. Your relationship grows deeper and the pain might be the exact same, but there's also so much more peace and so much more um, vision and insight on why it's happening and you don't get so tunnel visioned on you and your pain that you can't see other people. And so I think yeah, that becomes yeah. the beautiful part of it. And the good news is, is we're in good company. I mean, that, that <laughs> phrase you, you put out where it's like, okay, God, I don't like it, but I'll trust you. Like Jesus said that Jesus felt that. And the way he put it was, if there could be any other way, <laughs> yeah. can we do that? But you know, can you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understands. He knows what it means to be asked to do too much for it to be too hard, to be too frightening. And, and it's man, not sinful. It's not sinful to want to right. avoid it. I think people need to realize yeah. that it's like that human instinct of please take this cup is not sin because Jesus did it and he was sinless. So yeah. I think we it's get, sin, it's human. <laughs> exactly. But I think we theologically sometimes, yeah. and even in psychology, like we corrupt that idea. And, and I've said this before on here, but it's like, you know, you, avoidance is not sinful. It, it can be, but mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to hurt father, is there another way, is not sinful. Yeah. Now, yeah. giving up, running away, being disobedient, right, all those things are. But that's the whole point of Jesus, right, is that even when yeah. we even when we turn and we fail, he's going to come and he's going to do it yeah. for us. And it was always him yeah. doing it anyway. It was never our ability. Yeah, yeah. And and really what it comes down to is that, you know, bringing it full, sor- full, circle, full circle to where I started, uh, about this idea of ambassador of Christ, like that really solidified when God told me, you don't work for this guy, <laughs> yep. you work for me. And so the thing is, is the way that we treat our Christianity is the, is as though that our, our job is Christian and whatever that means for us. So I do Christian things, I think Christian ways, but that's not our job. That's kind of what tripped the Pharisees up is they were living into this identity of what it meant to be religious and spiritual and God honoring and God seeking. Right. But but our invitation is to be ambassadors of Christ, which means somebody could hear what we're saying and saying, but oh man, 
Couldn't God have just kept that person from cursing at anyone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Couldn't God have done it in a different way? Fair, legitimate questions. And sometimes it's not that Jesus is forcing something upon us or putting us in bad situations, but what he is always doing is inviting us to represent him because that's the invitation he gave. Do you want to follow me? And, you know, once he said, all right, I'm going to go, now y'all are going to represent me. Like, do you want to represent me? So whatever happens, whether you're cursed out or not, it's not about being a good Christian. It's am I willing to be a representative of Christ, an ambassador of Christ? And that how I respond is coming more and more and more from a place of representing him well than it is getting what I need or what I deserve, even if they're good things. Mm -hmm. And that, again, as you and I have discussed, is you, you keep on practicing that. But the more that I've come to internalize that, that reality, that invitation, that it's not about me getting the life that I want, but about me recognizing that I said I was dying to myself that I was giving my life to Christ. So why am I protecting a thing I already gave away? <laughs> and why am I not trusting that if I've given it to him, he's going to take care of it better than I would have, right? If I can get to that place where I can trust that. I have given it in his hands. Abundantly more can happen than I could ask or imagine. Then I will be better positioned to say, all right, well, come what may, bring it. I don't like it, but I'm here. Here I am. <laughs> Send me. And the worst of things could happen. And simultaneously the best of things on a spiritual level can happen even on a practical level but the best of things can happen in ways that we wouldn't have expected that's right man well bro this has been a great conversation i uh yeah. i definitely want to have you back on in uh, you know six months or so and and talk I'm more game. you know this is very uh pleasantly surprised with our convo and how it went and what the holy spirit did and i know that people are going to listen and it's going to touch their lives and give them you know practical perspective too i think that's the goal of this podcast is for you guys listening to to really you know not just kind of talk about things in this like you know highly spiritual way that doesn't really meet actual real people but to have you know real things that we go through and real struggles and and be able to say this is how we did it this is how god did it and this is how you can do it so thank you for your time man um, any, yeah, so pleasure. say your, say your website one more time. Yeah. So, uh, where did you see God.com also wherever you listen to podcasts and the hope with that is to capture what you just said. It's not about forcing theological things down people's, you know, brains, but really just creating an authentic, accessible space for people to ask hard questions, to process hard things, to look for God in places that they might not have seen him. And so there's. I don't know, 155 stories now of folks like anybody listening, going through any number of things um, and discovering that maybe this God guy is real. Maybe he is God. Maybe he is powerful. And maybe he is good and is loving. That's awesome. I don't know if you keep up with um, Joe Rogan, um, but, you know, I've listened to some of his podcasts over the years and, and um, it, it like the last like five or six out of 10 people that he's had come on there have been like talking to him about Jesus. And it's just been mm -hmm. hilarious. Cause he, it's like, you can, you can tell they're like friends who have come to Christ in the last little bit. And like, mm -hmm. then out of nowhere, they're like, Oh, and, and this is, you know, I've also went uh, down the search for, you know, God and I found him and then they're talking about, and he, you know, and they're having these <laughs> conversations, but um, uh, it's just funny thinking about podcasting and talking and, and, uh, and people listening that God is moving. He's moving all over the place. Yeah. We see these revivals happening around the country. And so, man, I, I just, everybody listening, if you, if you have money to donate, if you have support to give, man, go to Paul's website and, and support him and what he's doing and his ministry. Um, you know, we can pray, we can, we can pay and we can go. So I don't know what you're doing out there, but, you know, pray for us, pray for him, pay for him. And then, it, you know, start a podcast yourself. If you're a Christian, you have something to say. There's there's voices out there. Go down the street and talk to your neighbor today. Speak to your wife or your kids in a loving way. Go and do something for God. Thanks, man. Thank you guys for listening. God bless and have a good week.